True Multifamily is an On Air Brands production and a proud member of the On Air Brands Network. This is True Multifamily, the show where we dive in on what really happens after closing a multifamily property. We're going to expose the role of asset manager. That's a person who has a responsibility of seeing the vision, executing the plan, and managing people, budgets, and timelines, all to deliver returns for our investors. These are the real struggles, the real victories, and the real stories of asset management. Welcome back to another episode of True Multifamily. Listeners, today is a very special episode. This is not like any episode we have done. I have collaborated on this episode with five other multifamily podcast hosts. You may already be familiar with some of their shows. We are doing a synchronous launch today where everyone is launching this episode all on the same day. We get into some really great content. It's not your typical true multifamily asset management show, but we do cover all aspects of multifamily investing. I really hope you enjoy it. Please let me know if you do enjoy it because I do think this is something we are going to do on a quarterly basis. It was a lot of fun for me and I hope you have fun too. Thanks. Hi, my name is Shannon Ludlow. I'm the host of the Multifamily Journey podcast and I am a passive investor. I got interested in multifamily syndications about, I'd say a little over a year ago. And I decided to start a podcast because I didn't really see a lot of people like me that are hard workers in their W-2 and they really love what they do for a living and they want to invest passively in these syndications. And I didn't really hear anyone tell their story. Most of the time it's people interviewing guests or experts or professionals. And that certainly has a tremendous amount of value, but sometimes you want to hear from someone that has been there and done that and is transparent. So that's exactly why I started my syndication um, podcast. And so thank you so much for having me guys. I can't wait to be a part of this kind of mini mastermind with everybody and everyone on this uh, podcast right now are people that I listen to in my private life, people that I look up to, people that I respect. And so I'm just very blessed to be a part of this collection of group of people. So with that, that is me. And I'll go ahead and turn it over to Justin Frazier. Hey guys, my name is Justin Fraser, host of the True Multifamily Podcast, where we talk all about asset management, which is all the fun stuff that happens after closing an apartment complex. You know, we really believe that uh, there's there's so much great content about finding deals, raising money, but not enough spoken about how to run those properties effectively. So we treat our apartment complexes like a business, and that's what we get into on the True Multifamily Show. Um, I'm an asset manager with over a thousand units right now, just past $55 million in real estate, um, number of apartment complexes here, currently looking for a lot more, hoping to scale up, um, but hopefully we can bring some great asset management uh, knowledge and expertise to this group. And thanks for having me. Really glad to be here. Right on. Thank you, Justin. And let's go ahead and turn it to Mr. Fortes, please. Hey, thank you for having me, Shannon and everyone else. My name is John Fortes. I'm the host of the Passive Investor Show, where when we bring on a guest, we don't talk about basically how great their investments are doing or what, you know, what they're doing with their real estate business. But we talk about what happens on the operational side and what a passive investor could experience as they go through their investment firm. So essentially, we talk about how to build an investment firm, a real estate investment firm. And we look at it through the lens of a passive investor. So I take you from A to Z as you experience your 
how you how you process through your investment with a company. So if I'm investing with Justin Frazier's company, I'm interviewing him about the whole process about, hey, when I come through and invest with you, what's that look like? When I go to your website and fill out the form, what's that look like? So you get the nuance of it. And that's basically how we run our show and stuff. So yeah, and I thought of that because I didn't want to do the full interview of telling me how great someone else was doing with their business when I wanted to know exactly how their business was operated and how they scaled it efficiently. I'm, I'm pretty nosy like that. So I like to ask those questions. So that's what we do. And we're about five, over 500 units right now have exited about a couple, well, will be a couple soon, one definitely. And then we're moving in and transitioning into funds. So I focus most of my conversations on firms that work with funds. And that's where we're going these days. Thank you for having me. Right on. Thank you, John. And, and, and just so everyone's listening, you know, understands I am definitely a PI listener. And if you listen to Mr. Fortez's podcast, you know exactly what I'm talking about. I am a PI listener. Hey, so real quick, real quick. I am a fan of you guys too. So I do look at you guys as basically a pairs of mine as, as well as uh, someone that I just look up to and just say, similar to what you said earlier, Shannon, I look up to you guys as well. Appreciate that, John. Okay. Let's turn it over to Luke and Daisy Serrano and also Luke Dubro. Yeah. She's been trying to get me to change my last name since we got married. So there you go, Shannon. Yeah. My name's Luke and uh, my wife, Daisy and I, we, we uh, have make it rain multifamily real estate investing for millennials. So that's exactly what it sounds like. We target millennials specifically. I think everybody here is a millennial if I'm doing my math, right? Um, so <clears throat> yeah, we, <laughs> well, we really <laughs> Sorry, I just had a 43. We're close enough. <laughs> a 43, so I just missed it by, let's say, five years. Close, you're an you're honorary close. millennial too, yeah. Shannon. Generation yeah. X, baby. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, we, you know, we focus on millennials specifically. We didn't feel like there was anybody who was speaking directly to them and really addressing the issues and the problems that they come up with and really being able to build wealth and be able to build generational wealth and, and get out of the rat race and a lot of those things that, um, that millennials are focused on right now. So that's what we focus on. That's what we do. And uh, I'll turn it over to Daisy. Yeah, and, and thank you for having us, Shannon. And it's an honor for us to be here with all of you. You know, we we look up to you. We listen to your podcast as well and learn so much from all of you. So so thanks for sharing the platform, right, with us uh, and, and inviting us to be part of this. And I mean, a really big mission for for Luke and myself and Make It Rain is really to be, to be a, you know, a resource to everybody else, right? Whether it's our colleagues, whether it's investors, whether it's other partners, it's how can we be of service? How can we add value? How can we work together? So if anybody, you know, wants to reach out, um, you know, and, and learn more either about us or about just the industry or about anybody else that's that's partnering with us. We're definitely an, an open book and, and happy to be a resource at all times. Awesome. Thank you very much, Luke and Daisy. And let's go ahead and, and uh, welcome Jermaine and Oscar Buendia. Thank you, guys. I'm so excited to be here, man. It's been, it's been uh, awesome. And like, uh, like, I mean, all of you, I don't know, I look up to you guys, like you guys are my heroes. Uh, I listen to all your podcasts and I learn from you guys. I mean, you guys are doing such uh, great stuff. I am the uh, um, uh, co-host of the REI Brothers podcast with my brother Oscar. Uh, we've been doing it for a little bit, a little bit over a year now. Um, and it's been a, an amazing journey. Uh, we interview guys like you i mean uh, uh, some of you have actually half of you guys have been on, on our show already 
uh, and we focus on uh, everything multifamily and everything wealth creation. And uh, I'm very excited. Thank you, guys. Thank you, uh, Shannon, for putting all this together. I appreciate it. And uh, now I turn it into my brother. Hey, guys. Well, again, thank you for having us. It really is an honor. Uh, you know, like my brother mentioned, we started this about a year ago. And it really started from a passion of exposing people like us who had never been exposed to private investments to larger scale, uh, not just multifamily, but real estate in general. We did a uh, analysis of a deal once we scaled to our, our 20 unit rental portfolio. And then after that, the deals just kept landing and we did a, a, uh, a ridiculous return uh, in our in our uh, underwriting. And from there, it just clicked like, it's so much easier to go bigger. And two, why don't people know about this, right? Why didn't we know about this four years ago plus? <laughs> so that's where the podcast was born. And we're excited to share that with all of you. Awesome. Well, Oscar and, and Jermaine, thank you for, for being here. You guys do a great job. And by the way, your your social media and your content you guys publish, you're, you're, you're taking it up a notch. I'm embarrassed to compare my stuff to your guys. I mean, you guys do such a nice job. Very impressive. I, I really mean that truly. And last but not least, absolutely. Last but not least, we've got Mr. Sean DeMartel. Uh, he is one of three hosts of the Multifamily Takeoff, one of my favorite um, podcasts that I listen to. And actually, a quick little story. One of the reasons why I decided to start my own podcast, I think you probably know I'm, I'm kind of cyber buddies with your buddy, Rich. Mm-hmm. And uh, we talk here and there. He's a good guy. And I know you guys got a lot of stuff cooking. Sean, Rich, and and Mike, these are people that set out with a goal to start a podcast to to make it successful. It is absolutely successful. They decided to try and do their first syndication. They put things into action. and, um, And now they've got a lot of great things on the horizon. And so for people that... I guess there's a if there's a will, there's a way. This is the very definition of that. So with that, let me go ahead and turn it over to Sean to introduce himself. Thank you so much for that uh, great introduction. I appreciate that, Shannon. And thanks for having me on. I'm really honored to be with all these guests uh, and hosts on this show. Uh, several of you I've had on my podcast. And you guys are great guests. Um, but yeah, my our podcast, The Multifamily Takeoff, myself, Mike, and Rich, uh, we started that about a little over a year ago. And our podcast is really a more broader podcast uh, focused on everything multifamily. We started the podcast wanting to have a little bit more of a long form conversation with each guest from all different walks of the multifamily space, whether that be brokers uh, or real estate brokers or mortgage brokers, property managers, asset managers that are awesome at it, like Justin, um, you name it. We try to bring them on and really get into really detailed questions and so we can learn from them. Um, part of the reason why we started this podcast is because when we first started it, we were total newbies to the multifamily space. Um, other than our own um, self-education that we had done, and so we started that journey as a part of, hey, let's bring these people on, bring the top guys in the multifamily space on, and really just ask them the detailed questions about how they do their operations. Uh, when we needed to raise capital, we brought on capital raisers. Okay, how do you do this? How do you reach out to them? Things like that. So if you check out our podcast, you're going to find a whole breadth of different topics and different types of guests, and hopefully you'll, you'll be able to find some value in that. But uh, thanks again for having us on. I'm ready to get, ready to get going. And Learn from each and one, every one of you guys. Awesome. Thank you very much, Sean. 
And so for the people listening right now, the purpose of this is to basically collectively bring all these different podcast hosts together to talk about multifamily investments. And we all, as you can hear, have a different genre, a different role within the multifamily space. And so I'm going to go ahead and pose some questions and I'll kind of be the moderator. And what's going to be very unique about this podcast episode that we're recording right now is every single one of us is going to publish this exact same episode, which I don't think has ever been done before, uh, which is very, very cool. And I can, we're all going to publish it on the same damn day. So you guys are going to get tremendous amount of value hearing people that have put in. I mean, think about this for a second. Look at these faces on the screen right now, guys. How many hours have we all spent studying, listening, learning, spending money, trying to figure out this whole multifamily uh, space? A tremendous amount. Yeah. <laughs> a, a whole a whole bunch. I see I see Justin sweating. He's like, man, if you only knew. <laughs> a lot of books too. I That's had to right. give them away because there's nowhere to put them all. <laughs> no buying books, right? Exactly. How fitting is it that the passive investors and vetting the sponsors right now? No doubt. That's true. Absolutely. Hey, nothing wrong with that. Bring it on. So let's start off with um a fun question because um all of our listeners, I mean, we've, we've definitely got people that are fans of each of our individual podcasts, you know, our loyal listeners, they DM us, they reach out to us, we've communicated with them. And so I want to do something fun for them, a first question. And, and this was actually not in what we kind of prepared to. So let me ask this and let's go one by one and I'll call you out individually. Outside of the people that are recording right now, right? So let's, if you've interviewed somebody that's on, on this uh, show right now, leave them out of it. But what is your absolute favorite guest you've had on your podcast so far and why? And I'm going to go ahead and start with the Buendia brothers. Oh, damn. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking, man. That's a hard question. I, I love that, bro. I it's love hard that, to bro. pick a favorite. Yeah, dude. I saw Jermaine. Um, he's like, he's like, no, whamm- no whammies, no whammies. No- oh. <laughs> uh, oh, man. I think... Um, the best guest, I think it was uh, Vini Chopra. Uh, he was one of the best ones, and more one of the most genuine. Um, I mean, if you guys if you guys look at his show, he actually shared his uh, his screen with us, and he went inside his systems, and it was it was crazy. And he was one of the first uh, guests as well, uh, so it was very humbling. I mean, and, and he's very down to earth, really nice guy, and. Uh, so yeah, to me that was that was my favorite one. I've heard nothing but good things about Vinny. I'm sure, and I see. I mean, those of you listening right now, you can't see, but everyone's shaking their head. Yes, I mean, I've heard nothing but good things. I think his nickname is Smiles Chopra. Vinny yeah. Smiles Chopra. He just seems to be um, a, an American success story, yep. and he he put you know a lot of effort into building what he's built, and um, I love the fact that he hasn't felt like he's arrived, like he's bigger than life. So that's yeah. awesome. That's a great one. Oscar, do you agree with that? No, no, I, I think he was great. But, you know, I I think my favorite was uh, Vince Giddens. A lot of you may know him. Yeah. Um, he's actually our accountability coach in the Jake and Gino community. But he, um, when he came on, I mean, I already knew what to ask him because we talk all the time. But just so detailed, so many actionable items, it felt... If you listen to that episode, it's like a coaching call. You, you're going to get so much out of it. Uh, there's a lot of guests that come on and they still provide a lot of value, but it's always hard with the bigger names to get actionable stuff out. 
I agree with 100%. And you know, one of the things I'll just say this real quick that I was surprised and I've talked to to Rich Summers about this from the multifamily takeoff. It's sometimes it's not that difficult to get the big names, right? Like I interviewed, um, who was it? Uh, Joe Fairless about a month and a half ago. And now I, the reason why he did my interview is because I'm in two of his deals. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it up. <laughs> but, um, you know, he, he was very generous with his time and that was great to interview him, but these are just regular people like us and, and they've just scaled up and, and, uh, they're no different. And so to hear Vinny and, and also who you recommended to Oscar, that's awesome. Let's sort of Justin, who was your favorite guest? Yeah. Uh, earlier this year I had Gino on, uh, Gino Barbaro and, the way that he spoke, you know, obviously he does so many educational, much educational content and he's got a podcast. He's a true professional, but he spoke really about the resident experience. Um, and so we spoke about asset management through the resident's eyes and how we are providing a service to our tenants and calls them residents. And uh, just that whole process from start to finish, from the, the day they Google you and you show up through how you handle work orders and when they eventually you know, move on and leave your property. Uh, and every interaction in between is so, so much energy, so much passion from him. Um, things that we, we got into that I've not heard him speak about before. So it's really great. And uh, I really, really enjoyed having him on the show. And again, another person that I've heard nothing but good things about, especially Jake and Gino. I'm both of yep. those guys, just amazing. Awesome. Um, let's go ahead and throw it to Luke and Daisy. Yeah, I can take this one on first. Uh, I would say for me, one of the most inspirational by far has been Anna Kelly. Uh, she came on the show and she talked about her journey, her experience, how young she was when she started. Uh, you know, her and her husband had their own businesses and they were doing it together. And they also integrated their family right into their business, which resonated a lot. That's, you know, Luke and I were husband and wife team, right? So we're working together. We're, we're working on this together and also plan in the next few years to build our family life around the business business, right? So for us, that was, for me, I should say that was really inspirational. And also just seeing another woman, right? That's badass, that's kicking, kicking butt and doing a lot better than a lot of the men out there. Um, so, you know, just, I love hearing those stories and, and hers in particular was, was a very strong inspirational story for me, for sure. Awesome. Luke, I wouldn't want to follow that, but what do you got, bud? Yeah. So I'm going to cheat a little bit. I'm going to pick an episode that hasn't premiered yet, but is on, but is coming out uh, soon here. Um, so for me, it would be Sofia Castro and we interviewed her a couple weeks ago. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, Daisy's nodding her head, right? I mean, she's just, I mean, she was, she was amazing, extremely generous with her time, um, has completely built from the ground up uh, a huge portfolio, extremely generous, very down to earth. Um, and, you know, I, I think when the episode comes out, it'll it'll be really, um, really impactful for a lot of people. And I, I'd say it was for me. And yeah, she was just she was just awesome. And she came through uh, essentially a referral from the Buendia brothers. So, yeah, kudos to them for uh, for the referral. And yeah, I mean, I, I can't say enough. You know, obviously, I'm having a little bit of trouble putting it into words, but I'd say she's a she's extremely inspirational to me for yeah. sure. Yeah, and I have to add really just the power of the network, right, of a group like this, because, you know, Herman and Oscar, they, you know, interviewed her, they had her on their show, and they thought, you know, it would be amazing uh, connection for us to, to also, right, um, be able to meet her. And so just the power of having this kind of community is, is huge. Awesome. Okay, well, I appreciate that, Luke and Daisy. Thank you. Let's go ahead and throw it to Mr. John Fortes. Yeah, my favorite episode is uh, 154 and 155. And that's with Eric Silverman and the way I structure my episodes, you, you know, it, I do two episodes with the guest. So the reason why it's Eric is 
he walks through the process of he started as an LP. His family owned real estate. He didn't want to go into, uh, in, into the business of his family. He wanted to start something as his own. Very, very good educational background. One of the highest schools, I think, in Bowdoin, Bowdoin College out in um, Maine, I think it is, or New Hampshire, one of those uh, locations. But from there, he started a firm. He started with a $10 million fund, then went and started scaling. Well, during that $10 million fund, he called so many RIA firms just to raise capital. He found a list and called every single one, found out how to trim the list and wean it out and call the ones that uh, invest with alternative investments. Finally raised $10 million, then produced and, and, and basically just JVs with other firms and with firms that meet criteria, five, like his five rules. And it, it's, it's quite interesting. He puts his rules on his website, but also he went from there to a $25 million fund, there to a $50 million fund, and I believe a $75 million fund. And today he's now raising on his sixth fund or seventh fund on a $400 million fund. So he scaled his business all by starting as passive investing. So it's my favorite, my favorite episode and the way he walks through how he built his business through that. It's remarkable. Wow. That's pretty impressive. Um, I got to check that episode out. You said it's 154 and 155. Yes. Awesome. Thanks, John. And let's go ahead and throw it to uh, Mr. Sean DeMartel. All right. So I was uh, wrestling in my head between two, but Daisy made it easy for me because one of them was Anna Kelly. I thought she, we had her on our show as well. She was actually our first guest. Uh, to this day, that is ha that episode has the most listens out of all of our shows. She even beat out people like Grant Cardone, a lot of the big names, because um, she's just so inspirational. I mean, she has like, what, four or five kids and, you know, they were all in school and she's working full time and her husband's working full time and they still got it done. And now they're syndicating deals. I mean, that just shows you that anybody can find the time and the drive, if you have the drive, to get it done and go out there and build a portfolio. Um, so she was just my top inspirational episode. But since Daisy already brought that up, I'll go ahead and go to the other one that was one of my tops, and that's Neil Bawa. Uh, Neil Bawa oh, yes. is just, he's an innovator. Um, he does things that you know I've never heard any other operator doing, and he's a true master at asset management a true master. I mean, you know, had him on the show and he just does things that you don't hear people doing. Like, uh, he'll, he owns properties in Utah that get where it gets really hot in the summer and really cold in the winter. And he has covered parking. And if there's spaces available, he calls when there's snow on the ground, he'll have his asset management army, as he calls them, call the people that don't have a covered parking and say, Hey, you want covered parking now? Or if it's a hundred degrees outside and sunny, how about now? So, you know, he's, he's got all these other ideas. I recommend you listen to the episode if you want to hear some of them. But if you really want to hear some unique takes on asset management, I mean, he's just a whiz. And that's also inspirational because I just love guys that are, or, or people in general that are, that are blazing trails like that and giving you ideas. Great episode. Yeah, Neil was awesome. And actually, I listened to that episode of yours uh, with Neil before I interviewed him on my podcast. Yeah. And so he left me like with my head spinning. To be honest for with you, sure. um, my my interview with him was episode fourteen, and he's just so into the data. Like he's the he's he, I guess his nickname is the Mad Scientist, and it definitely mm -hmm. fits the bill. It's unreal. Absolutely. That's that's a good one, Sean. Uh, and so for me, if I can round it out, um, this question for me, it's got to be Jeremy Roll. That would be episode thirteen. 
Jeremy is someone that has invested in passively in over a hundred syndications or a hundred private placements. This is his full-time job. <laughs> like uh, it's so wow. funny because I'm in four syndications. He's done over a hundred. So he does that on a Wednesday, but um, to listen to how conservative he is, he will not invest in an apartment syndication. If the cap rate is below 8%, he's got certain strict criteria and we all know where the cap rates are right now, but I'd rather put my money in the market and see what happens than kind of sit on the sidelines and watch inflation. And John, I see you nodding because you talk about this a lot on your show about inflation, just eroding your cash. Um, but Jeremy was an amazing, um, it was not easy to get him because he's not doing, uh, interviews anymore. Mm. And, uh, it really took a lot of convincing. He wanted to see questions before the episode and he wanted to approve and disapprove of questions. But once I finally got him on, he just opened up like the floodgates. And so for me, that was my favorite episode. Okay. Let's go ahead and switch to a different question. Um, and, and anyone can jump in. We're not going to round Robin in any, any more like this. We'll kind of just let the conversation flow as it is. What's the biggest misconception about multifamily investing? That's a tough one because there's a lot of them. Yeah. Um, I, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is it's kind of a double-edged sword, but the idea, almost the idea that anybody could just jump in and do it, um, that you could, because in a sense, yes, but the barriers to entry are a lot greater than I think people realize, especially in today's environment, just getting lending and getting the bank to give you money without any experience I think that a lot of the um, mentorship programs out there are pushing people, which is great. Um, but I think that a lot of people's expectations of getting into this business are a little bit uh, lower than what they should be as far as how difficult it is to get to get out there and get started, which is why I always push on my podcast and tell people the power of a mentor and why I think it is the absolute most important thing you could do if you want to get into this business and you're crazy if you don't do it. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of people just don't realize what it takes to, to, uh, to get a property and, you know, a larger multifamily and actually get started. Awesome. I think for me, just to jump in, it's just the financing and maybe it's not a misconception, but it's, maybe it's not enough information. Like for me, yeah. I've got an interview scheduled with, um, Hannah. Do you guys know Hannah? She's a broker, Hannah on, on Instagram. She <laughs> finances everybody's deals. She's very successful out of Texas. I'm going to have her on soon. But part of the reason why I want to have her on my, my podcast is just to learn, you know, what type of financing is happening now with post-COVID, um, what makes for a, a better return for the GP group, um, what are the, what's the criteria, how much reserves do they, need to, do they need to raise in terms of capital, just the whole nine. I think from a, a passive limited partner standpoint, we're not too educated on financing. I know you've got agency debt, you've got... Um, all kinds of different ways to finance the deals. There's other uh, ways of doing it as well. But as a passive investor, I don't think a lot of people are talking about that. Has anyone had anyone on your podcast that talked about financing and talked about structuring debt and things like that? I've had a few um, mortgage brokers on the podcast um, where we do discuss that. Um, we've had, I think, two mortgage brokers on. We had uh, the mortgage, the guy from Old Capital. Sorry if he's listening. I forgot his name. <laughs> well, we had him. I think Michael Becker, but, or yeah, um, on the show. Um, but yeah, we, we've talked about financing in, in the current lending environment. Um, we just recently had another one on uh, where we talked about how you know the light lending is tightened up a little bit with uh, Fannie and Freddie. 
on, you know, the really in particular on the experience of the sponsor and the strength of the sponsor, things like that. So we did get a little bit into detail on that. It's a good episode. Awesome. Uh, I had to check that out. And, and then also you need to have someone sign or I guess co-sponsor the loan if you don't have the net worth or you don't meet the, uh, and someone please step in because again, you gotta, I'm not you too educated team. on this. You definitely have yeah. the team. You have to have yeah. someone with liquidity. You have to have someone with the net worth um, to cover the, the the terms of the deal that you're, you're, you're taking down. So it is a lot of moving parts when you're signing on debt for, for you know, taking down an asset. And it's, you know, as we speak right now, there's Freddie is looking at deals in COVID at 65% LTV and then moving up from there. So that's, that's where we are at the state of the market. And then it gets a lot more moving parts from there. They're analyzing the deal. But this is what I like to tell investors is if the lender's approving the deal, that's the biggest investor in all of this. Yep. So that's something that, I like to look at in my deals when I'm investing is the lender jumping in and what's the LTV and what are they contributing? Are they giving up? Um, are they adding a CapEx budget to this? And and what are they giving on the term? So if the biggest investor in the deal is the lender, it's almost already halfway for me. Now I got to do my own due diligence on my side before I commit my capital. So that's how I look at it from a passive investor standpoint when I'm investing. Gotcha. So let me jump in here real quick. So I think expectations are the number one thing. I think Sean hit it perfectly is there's a lot of people that want to jump in and think they're going to go from zero to 100 in like a day and no business is ever going to happen that way. But then you guys are talking about finance and I think pre COVID, I think it was like the wild, wild west. So we were doing a lot of CMBS contacting and private equity. And I can tell you that we got, we were blown away because we got a 3 million line of, line of credit after our first deal. And we didn't know how that was possible, right? But it was through a CMBS and private equity. And can, they you, were can, you, can you explain what that means, Oscar, please? For our it's listeners? just, it's not Fannie Mae, it's not Freddie Mac, it's a fund or it's just non-traditional banking, right? So they, they pull money together and they, they lend. Um, well, they, what did you they, guys have to use for collateral for that? What was that process like? So we didn't have collateral for that one for the three for the lock. We already had established our our first relationship, with, our yeah. relationship with them, and then they trusted us. And then after that, we were gonna take down the seventy five unit. Just my brother and I, and this was in a period of five months from our first deal to second deal, and we were like, "Well, let's do it." And then COVID happened. They took the lock away. What I'm getting at is we don't know what's coming up post COVID. Um, there's, there are other kinds of finances, other kinds of firms out there that, that may loosen up. Right now, that's nowhere to be found, but Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac have their rules. But I, I was just trying to give that perspective outside of the, the norm of Fannie and Freddie, right? Cause that's what most people know. There's this wild, wild west world that if you tap into it, it, it could be wild. And I know we were, we were like up and Oh my God, what, what did we land on for a while? Mm-hmm. <laughs> just to be clear, when he says the wild, wild west world, it, it's just the money thrown around at mm-hmm. another level is just, it, it is insane. When you got private equity, family offices involved, uh, endowments, it, it, it's just another level that yeah. they're 
literally trying to move money faster than you can spend it. Yep. What I mean by that is, can you find a deal fast enough for them to to fund? Because that's what they're looking for. They're working yeah. with funds dealing at an, hundreds of millions of dollars and they need to deploy five million. That's nothing to them. All right, just move it, move it, please. So, so that, that's so, what he's talking about. So let me ask this quick question because you just raised a question in my mind. How many deals do you guys underwrite before you put a LOI out there? Man, a lot. I, 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 we, I mean, I think Mike is counting, but uh, through 2020, I was underwriting deals every day. Um, and it just felt like I was never going to find one, that we were never going to find a deal. And we didn't find one or to syndicate until this year, the one that we're doing now. Um, but I would say the numbers over a hundred, well, before putting in an LOI, the numbers gotta be between 60 and a hundred, um, something like that before we actually put in LOI. And when I say underwrite, we start with like a funnel, right? A very general, like, uh, we're looking at, you know, the neighborhood specific details, median household income, what's the population trends, things like that. And, you know, I might throw away a deal pretty quickly that way, but actually getting down and, you know, sifting through all of those deals, it's a large number of deals. Cause there's just a lot of crap deals out there. Sean, if you don't mind, can you share with our listeners how your GP group is structured? Like, are you the are you the data person? Do you underwrite the deals? And like, what does Richard do? What does Mike do? Can you kind of break that down for us and unpack it? Sure. Yeah, for sure. So the th there's three of us. Uh, the primary roles is we've got Rich Summers, who is our uh, primary point of contact with the brokers. He also has some like secondary roles of like lender point of contact and stuff like that. So he triggers whenever we actually get something under contract. But his primary role is we fly him out to markets. Uh, he sits down, has dinner with brokers, and he's constantly on the phone with them throughout the week, things like that to try and get the deal flow in. Um, then my role kicks in, and I am the primary underwriter. So um, I, you know, like I said, I have a funnel that I'll get to, and then I eventually have my spreadsheet that I'll run my deals through. Um, and so that's my primary duty on the early end. My secondary duty is also working with the contractors and capital improvements on the property uh, because I have a background where my father owned his own construction company. So I just have a, a little bit of experience dealing with contractors and the actual contracts themselves. Um, and so when it comes time for doing those things, my role kicks in on the property side right there. And then Mike is our asset manager. And Mike does the day-to-day -day stuff with, you know, getting on the phone with the property manager, managing them, um, you know, implementing the business plan from that aspect um, and, and dealing with all the resident issues, things like that. And so between the three of us, that's, that's how we do that. And then we also have things, you know, like you know, some side roles, I call them secondary roles of, you know, whether or not somebody's the point of contact with like the attorneys, things like that. But that's the general um, way that we split up the roles between the GP and it's worked well for us. Um, we kind of over time evolved the rules and kind of had to say, okay, let, how about this guy does this so that we felt like it was equitable between the three partners and anybody that's listening, thinking of having partners, I'm sure that's how it is with every group. I mean, it's something that you kind of will say at the beginning and I'm sure it will change over time, but that's just how that, that kind of a thing goes. Yeah, Sean, gotcha. we, we have a very similar structure on our team as well. You know, primary acquisitions specialist who's, who's out there, underwriter. Um, we have, you know, one sort of captain of the ship as well in, in capital raiser. And then I do all the asset management as well. So we have four instead of three, but yeah, very, very similar structure. And that's a structure that I see a lot of successful teams having where everyone can stay in their lane. You know, Shannon, you asked about underwriting deals. I'm like, 
I don't see as many deals. I only see them when they're good enough that they want to get the asset manager involved and I can start, you know, doing my, adding my flavor to it, vetting CapEx budgets, you know, but, but I know my underwriter is looking at, you know, doing a deal a day at least. Hmm. Wow. I'm Um, going to walk you through exactly when you first come into the game, you underwrite everything. Yeah. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Because you don't know what you don't know. And what I mean by that is you don't have a criteria that you funnel through, like Sean said. You don't have that yet. You got to build it to understand it by looking at as many as you can. So with that approach, I, I ended up working for Michael Blanc as a SDA underwriter on his platform. And I recently stepped down, I believe, at the beginning of the year because a lot more was coming on my plate as I was transitioning. So that gave me a lot of experience. And with that, what we did there was say one of you guys uploaded a, a deal, we would basically just review it and, and give you bullet points on what you could do better, what, what you can look into, but we wouldn't approve to go and put, put, you know, put it on the contract. We just say, you're getting better. You look good. The numbers look refined. Make sure you check this out, taxes, blah, blah, blah. Everything you need to check out per market, you need to do that homework on. Because if you're underwriting a deal in Oklahoma, I don't know the Oklahoma market. I can only tell you, do these checks for those markets. Mm-hmm. Connect with the PM, connect with whoever's going to asset manage, connect with your team, and just go ahead and figure out if those numbers really line up. Because if you got one of those things, if you got taxes wrong, that can kill it. Mm-hmm. And I think Daisy, any line cool. item, if you're yeah, off absolutely. by a big amount, right? Absolutely. You got to really have it fine tuned. But taxes, say for instance, a deal in Texas where the taxes is a different game once you take it over, or let's not even say tax, let's say Ohio. Ohio is a crazy game with taxes because with, with what they want to do is if I could buy it, uh, you got to buy it differently. I think if someone can help me out here, I know in, t- in Ohio, you have to buy it a certain way where you almost like assume it, but buy the LLC and come in through that backdoor yeah, process. So because it's, if it's, it's basically a way of um, you kind of take over the LLC that's already on the yes. property. That way it doesn't trigger them the um, reassessing <laughs> the taxes. So it's kind of like cheating so that the tax rate stays the same, but it's a very popular move. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I'm getting at. If you, if you mess up, on, like Justin said, one thing, it could capsize your deal. Yeah, I mean, to your point, John, right, even within Texas, where we're looking at the Texas market and even just county by county, right, city by city, it's a very drastic difference. So whether it's, you know, taxes or insurance, right, that's that's gone really high recently. So it's, you know, those little things, right, that it's not a one time item that you need to look at, like what that percentage is, but it's constantly changing. So it's constantly needing to see, you know, what the market is, who the competition is, um, you know, going back to, uh, you know, when winning a, a deal, right, it's what what's the kind of earnest understanding what kind of earnest money people are putting down as well. Because if you're coming in, 
you know, maybe looking to to have certain financial contingencies and somebody else is coming in offering one, two, three, four percent hard money day one, then you have to understand who you're competing with, because then at that point you're not competing. Right. So you're just going through the process and maybe getting to a certain point, you know, with a broker, you're still building that relationship. It's still good to, to go through the process on that end in terms of the broker. But who understand who it is that you're competing with. So in Texas, for example, going back, you know, to our market, it's a lot of out of state, right? We just moved from California. It's a lot of money from California that's coming in. And there's a property that was, uh, you know, they, they gave, it was, I believe, 60% over price, over asking price here, 60%. It was a buyer from California, right? So it's understanding who you're competing with and what are those conditions that they're coming in with and what, what's the hard money that they're willing to put down day one. Well, and to your point, it's not just the price that that's making the difference here. Four percent hard day one that that's a tough pill to swallow on some of these really big deals too. I'm accepting mm-hmm. that deal. But with the taxes thing too, in Texas, at least in Texas, you can appeal. You can appeal that. Uh, mm-hmm. I mean, uh, yeah, you you are able. You're definitely able to appeal it, and like Daisy alluded to, John. I mean, some counties are are they go after you a bit more than others. But what's been happening is like typically you'd underwrite to a percentage of your purchase price, but now people are starting to underwrite to essentially 100% of your purchase price times the mill rate because of how aggressive all these counties are are being. So there's just there's a lot of things that are going on for sure. And yeah. and also to to add to that uh, to Daisy and and the competition, right? Uh, especially for us that we are looking into Florida. There's a lot of investors that are coming from overseas and, yes. and, and you have to look at their perspective that they don't see for them a, a, a four cap is huge because they don't see that overseas. So they come up here with all their money and they don't care if they go 60, 60, uh, 60% over, uh, over the price, over the asking price, because for them, it's a good deal. For us that we're used to, you know, six, eight, 10%. It's not a good deal, uh, or it's not the caps that we're looking for. But for people overseas with the money, they come in heavy and and they take all the deals. That's the competition, especially for Florida. I don't know Texas how it is. I know it's it's out of state, but for Florida, it's, it's people overseas, and and yeah, that's what we're trying to tap in. <laughs> awesome. So let's let's go ahead and move on to another question. That was a great uh, exchange there. So let's talk about the first deal. How hard is it to land your first deal? And I think. John and Justin, you guys have both landed for sitting also Jermaine and Oscar. How difficult was it for you guys as GP groups to land your first deal? Go ahead, Justin. Yeah, no, I, you know, Shannon, you and I talked about this pretty heavily on your podcast. Um, My first deal, which I, you know, I don't consider single families or flips or anything. My first multifamily deal was a 40 unit uh, apartment syndication that uh, is now 41 units. And, and it was tough because I, you know, I, I made the decision that I wanted to get into multifamily and I, you know, I did the legwork, I did the homework, I met the people I needed to meet. But at the end of the day, I did not have the balance sheet and I did not have the experience that, I mean, brokers wouldn't even show me properties. They're like, you know, who are you with your little portfolio trying to look at three, $4 million properties. And, you know, I, I was like, well, I'll do it. I'll figure it out. I know me, but they don't know me. Right. So, uh, you have to have the right team. You know, we've, I think the team has been a common theme here. And so I, you know, I, I figured out pretty quickly what it was they were looking for in terms of experience and, and net worth and all of that. And then I went and found the people that knew me and believed in me uh, to join my team. 
And so while I led the effort and I did, you know, all the trips and took the days off of work and uh, did all the underwriting and raised all the money, I had people on the team that had a lot more units than I did, a lot more real estate experience, a lot more money, net worth, all of that. And I, I put that team together and, and we went and took down the deal. So it, it is hard, but it's not impossible. It's a lot harder now. That was still, that was three or four years ago. Um, but if you can figure out what you're missing, like net worth or experience, then you can find someone that can help you with that and plug those gaps on your team. John? Yeah, absolutely. I like to call it the elusive first deal because it is that. It's elusive. It's every barrier you're going to find an experience. You're going to go through it. You're going to, like Justin said, you got to find the team members. You got to find each person the lender needs for you to sign and you got to find the capital. You got to find, you know, you got to find the trust with the brokers. to even look at the deal. And so the first deal that we had was the 62 unit, which has been just a, a total reposition from day one for us. Um, it's been a JV opportunity. It wasn't a syndication. And it, it was found uh, because a, a member in the Jake and Gino community that we all knew, we all came together and we purchased it. So uh, that's how it came down. And, and I didn't even find it. Someone else did. So um, still have it to this day. And we're actually looking at transitioning, uh, dis dispositioning from it right now. Um, actually was listening to a podcast maybe six months ago, and I forget whose podcast it was, but the person that was being interviewed, they had a unique strategy. I'm not sure if you guys have heard this before. They would syndicate a deal and then at, upon arriving at the projected IRR, they would cash out the limited partners and then that person would own that apartment complex solely within their own name and then they would just bank and they keep on doing it that way. Have you guys heard of people doing that before? Yes. Yeah, my yeah. mentors do that um, regularly do with their properties. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, if, if we agree in the operating agreement that there's a set return hurdle that, that we get you and you're happy investing in the deal to get that hurdle, then me as the operator, I'm going to do everything I can to hit that, cash you out. And then that's, you know, after that's just upside for me. So, so we all win because you get the number you wanted and I get the property after putting the legwork in. Yep. Absolutely. And as a limited partner, if you hit that 18 or 20 IRR, I'm fine. I, I knew what I was getting into at the beginning. I don't care what the ownership structure looks like when I exit that and I move on to something else. But um, Sean, can you unpack that a little bit more about what your mentors are doing? Because they've got to be raking in the money. I mean, that's a pretty powerful, <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty powerful strategy. That's how you really build um, considerable wealth for sure. Um, and it's, it's really not that complicated either. Um, at the end of the day, if, if you've added that amount of tremendous value uh, to where you can cash out your investors via a, a cash out refinance, you know, if the lending environment is right at the time where you can get really good leverage on the property and it, and it makes sense, um, then your investors are going to be really happy. Most of these investors, if you're giving them a 20% IRR, you are absolutely crushing anything else remotely close to what they're going to be able to get. And they signed up for the 20% IRR and it would be, it would be kind of weird if they weren't happy with the 20% <laughs> IRR that you got them. Um, so, you know, there's, they're still going to get that fat check. And I think that most, if not all investors are really happy with that. Uh, but as far as unpacking how they do it, uh, it's, it's really not that complicated. It's if the numbers make sense, you have to do a really good job with the deal. I mean, there's no doubt about it. Um, not every deal is going to work that way. 
Uh, because right, you have to perform very, very well. Um, you have to really exceed, uh, you know, your pro forma that you were expecting in that exit year. So, you know, because if you were to sell that property, right, instead of doing a cash out refinance and you're, you're instead of the 20% IRR, they'd be getting, you know, 26, 7% IRR for your investors. So it's not easy to do. And in today's environment, it's only getting harder. So I would say that's the only really little caveat there is that you've got to absolutely crush it. Real quick, Shannon, uh, since we're on the topic of, of structures, as an LP, what is a structure that if you see, you're like, I'm going to stay away from this one? Um, what I don't like as an LP is I don't like too complicated a deal structure with all these kind of different hurdles and catch ups and all these different things. I want it super simple. I want to get a minimum preferred return of pretty close to 8% and then a 70 30 split, something super simple that I can understand. When you cut me off, when we arrive at a certain uh, metric or whatever, you know, I, I don't know. I just, it just gets a little muddled for me. I want something simple. Um, that I can understand and I can actually put it on a spreadsheet and I can figure out what my return is. Everyone like me, at least if you're a finance background, you want to kind of map out. And I know, John, you've actually got one of the best spreadsheets around and I'll plug you a little bit. You created something that is phenomenal where you can actually plug in your initial investment. You can plug in what your promised returns were and you can, you can kind of map out what you're getting in terms of your distributions and see how your IR is turning out year over year. I want to do that too. But if it's too complicated, how the F am I going to do that if it's, if I can't even make it work in an Excel spreadsheet? So I want to keep it simple. And, and I'm too busy. I don't want to spend too much time. And that's one of the reasons why I'm a limited partner, not a general partner. I'm too busy with my W-2, with my family life, with other obligations. I don't want to have to mess around with this too much. And if you start making it very difficult for me to even understand Am I getting the return that I was promised? Can I project that? Can I forecast that? If I can't, then you're kind of losing me. And if you don't offer preferred return, bye, Felicia. Hey, let, me, just, let me ask you, because I came across a topic uh, maybe six months, a year ago that I wasn't truly aware of that was happening, which was a uh, return on capital versus a uh, return off capital. And I, when I first read it, it sounded to me like a Ponzi scheme waiting to burst. Um, and then I really thought about it. I was like, well, it's still meeting the whole intent, just longer term, but as long as you're delivering the truth about it to LP, but I want to get your perspective because I don't, I have like mixed feelings about it, but I don't know how an LP would feel about that. I'm sorry. Say that again, Oscar, return on what now? Return on capital versus return of capital. So essentially they might say it's a cash on cash return. Uh, but they're really returning your capital first and then to give you a distribution day one. That's the intent of it. Um, honestly, I haven't come across that I, too much. I can much. talk about this a little bit. Yeah, uh, please, Justin. From, from me an operating here, standpoint, no problem. So, and Oscar, I think you, we sort of separate those two things out a little differently. So the last thing you said I'll start with, which is returning capital that was raised as part of the return on investment, right? Yeah. So we're going to, what you'll see right now, especially, um, and, and it's okay if it's disclosed, is that we're going to raise a little extra um, to hit that preferred return. Because like Shannon said, he wants that 6% preferred return yeah. year one. Uh, as Sorry, I, I heard five. <laughs> what? Four? <laughs> four. 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 Four percent preferred return year one. Um, but 
I need the cash for that. And if I have a turnaround plan in place for my property, um, chances are it's not going to throw off that 6% return, 8% return year one. So I'm going to overraise a little bit. And then in that year, it's basically a supplemental for the cash flow. I'm going to return that as return on in investment, right? Return on, on capital. So that's counted in their preferred return. It's not something you want to do for a very long time, but I see it six months, nine months. It's probably okay. Um, because you're, you're factoring it in and it's usually till the business plan, the property sort of catches up. The other thing you're talking about return on versus of usually, usually happens at a refinance. So if we refinance, let's say you put a hundred thousand dollars in the plan to refinance and you're going to get $50,000 back right at the refinance, that might be a return of capital, but that's all has to be documented ahead of time in the operating agreement. So let's say it's year three, we've been paying you your preferred return. By year three, we're going to refinance and you're going to get half your money back, right? Now for us, we don't change the equity. We don't dilute you or anything, but now you have less invested in the deal. So every other dollar you get after that refinance is your return is calculated based on what you have left, that remaining $50,000 in the deal. So your return is going to look great, right? You, you invested a hundred, you got some money based on the first three years, you got half back and now you're just cash flowing on the 50 that, that's left in the deal. Oh, that's a great explanation, man. I, I guess when I when I first initially saw it, I saw, uh, you know, the, some of the issue people were having was the term cash on cash, uh, right? Because it, is it really a true cash on cash? Right. right. You have to separate it and measure it and be very specific okay. about what, yep. what cash it is you're getting back and how much you still have in the deal. Yeah. No, so Justin, that, you broke it down perfectly. It, yeah. it, it all stemmed from the overraise when that came out and was a, I guess more of a discussion. That's when this conversation started really yeah. being return of capital or mm -hmm. return right. on capital as far, as far as the capital that's being overraised to be distributed back. Distributed back. Right. Because and then the only other time that I would say that, that it, that's kind of business as usual too, is with these COVID reserves, at least the way we do it. So, you know, we raise the money for the COVID reserve that the lender wants that's required, whatever it is now, nine or 12 months, I forget. Uh, a, a principal and interest payments, right? And then once you've maintained a certain debt service coverage ratio, usually 1.3, they return that. We just give that back to the investors as a return of capital. Um, and, you know, it doesn't count towards, you know, their cash on cash returns or anything. We're just giving you this money back because we had to hold it for a little while. Um, so that's the only time where that's kind of, you know, business as usual for us as far as returning capital. Yeah, and I think a lot of that comes back to the communication at, at the forefront, right? When you are, you know, vetting the deal and vetting the sponsor, it's understanding what it is that you're that you're uh, agreeing to, right? When you're signing the the documentation, and and that you understand yourself as a limited partner. So I think it really goes back to the educational piece, right? Of really understanding how to vet a sponsor, how to vet a deal, and what those returns look like year over year, not just to have like the the annual percentage, right? But understand on a year to year basis, what is that going to look like? And also Luke and I are both uh, limited partners, right? Also in, in um, you know, in, in two different properties here in, in San Antonio, Texas. And so it's also looking at the financials when those come out, right? Because it is your responsibility, I would say, as a limited partner to continue looking at, you know, the performance of the property. It's not just a one-time thing, or as long as you're getting the return, you know, you're not, you know, kind of turning an eye on the, the quarterly financials or monthly, depending on how the, the sponsor, um, you know, distributes the information, but it's keeping a pulse, right, on your money on a day-to-day -day or on a quarterly basis. Well said. Um, let's talk about investor relations since you brought it up, Daisy, because 
as a limited partner, we both are, and so so are you, Luke. We love to be kept updated on what's going on with the vacancy rate, um, how's the business plan being executed, et cetera. And some of the investments that I've got into, um, they've got portals where I can log on and I can see stuff. Others don't. Um, I, I'm in four different deals with three different GP groups. And I can tell you there's a pecking order in terms of who I think does a better job than the others. What are you guys doing? Because I'm the only one here that's a true passive investor. The rest of you knuckleheads here, you guys are the, the big bad GPs. What are you guys doing to try and create um, good communication for your limited partners? Because I can tell you, it is so important. And one investor, well, actually one GP group of the four investments that I've done, they're not, they're not doing a good job. What are your thoughts? Yeah, so I would, um, the first thing I would say is we we haven't syndicated anything yet. I mean, that's one of our goals for the year, of course. Um, but then what I, you know, different GPs handle things different ways. It's going to be an 80-20, right? There's, the cream rises to the top. That's just what happens with everything. But I think that um, understanding who your investors are um, will end up helping you determine what kind of information you disseminate. Some care more about pretty pictures, some care about financials, right? If somebody's an engineer, they're going to care about financials, I would imagine. Um, and, you know, other people want to see the performance of the property from, uh, from like a CapEx perspective, how units are, are being turned and being upgraded, et cetera. Um, so I think, I think surveying, I mean, where my head goes, we haven't done this yet, right? But it's like, we'll ask them, like, what do you want? What are you looking for, right? They're your customer. If they're if they're coming in as an LP, you should already you should already have an idea of who your LP is because this is kind of like within your marketing strategy from a higher level. And then that would help determine what kind of information you'd end up disseminating from them. So I'm thinking, um, you know, like what's the voice of the customer? Like know your customer, that sort of thing. That's just generally where my head goes. I know that's a broad answer, but um, that's that's where my head goes, Shannon. Justin, yeah, we we are we our model for investor relations is transparency and accessibility, and so as much as our investors want to know, we're we're available and accessible to them. Um, so not, I mean, of course, we send out monthly updates to all of our investors, and I write those myself about, and we hit the key metrics: occupancy, collections, delinquency, COVID issues, whatever it might be. Um, but also every time I'm at the property, I'm shooting a video, right? And photos. So they're seeing what's actually happening. The other thing that we're doing is we created a private Facebook group for our investors. And we, my partner, Matt and I have office hours. Each of us has an hour a week where we are available to our investors to talk about not only our properties, but to help them. Cause a lot of our investors want to do this themselves or they want, they have their own projects going on or single family flips, whatever we have experience. We're available. We're there to help them. Sometimes they just want to come on and say, hey, you know, what's the plan next year for one of our properties? We're there for them. You know, we try to set certain times a week that we can do that. And it's just about, you know, letting letting them inside and seeing what we're doing. And yes, we, we don't always have like the best answer or obviously last year was a tough year for, for a lot of us and, and some of our properties. But, you know, when I'm standing there doing a Facebook Live to our investors, when I'm standing at the property and they're like, what's what's over there? What's happening? Or, you know, let's talk to the property manager. I, it's just open and accessible and, and uh, they can see what we're, what we're actually doing. John. Being very, very transparent, obviously is, is the most important aspect. And I'll just give you a scenario. The last two months, I look at the open rates of 
the recap of the investment strategy. I mean, of the current investment. I noticed that I'm getting 75% open rate. I'm like, okay, someone's someone here and there's not opening this or that, right? I reach out to the investors that are not opening just to see. Actually, first I check the system to see if anything's bouncing. One person was bouncing. So I actually reached out to them and said, is there a different email I can reach you at? It keeps bouncing. I want to ensure you get these uh, updates because we had tax information on there. And this was something that just happened this weekend. And, um, you know, I, I got a new updated email, got to plug it in. And now going forward, he'll get the emails. But also all my investors have my number and they can contact me. Uh, I have an investor that speaks to me probably at least a couple times a week via text. And sometimes it's not even about the deal. Most actually, most of the time isn't even about the deal. It's just the, you know, the relationship we've, we've had and, and formed since we've uh, formed this partnership. So I think transparency, uh, transparency is, is important. Uh, a lot of phone calls, uh, for instance, uh, I learned this, that if I'm looking for deals, Investors not in deals are on my time, but now if I'm raising capital, I'm on their time. So if I have to get on a call at 10 at night with an investor on the West Coast, I'm on a call at 10 at night to help them sift through the deal or answer questions. So I know that kind of sounds a little, you know, my time, their time, but it's about what I'm trying to provide for them as far as, far as offering these investment strategies. And then when, I, when we finally go, I mean, I'm pretty much on their time. Gotcha, John. Thank you. And Buendita Brothers, um, do you guys have any investors in your deals or is it all JV between the two uh, of you guys? It's JV, but we do have an investor base. Uh, and we honestly, John, John Forte has, uh, when he came on our, our show, he gave us a lot of tips on how to, how to talk to the investors and do, do the right touch points. So thank you for that. Um, and then we, we've been able to, a lot of groups have come to us to help them capital raise. And what we've been able to do is send people their way or direct. Sometimes, honestly, we haven't met the threshold to be it to be successful at it yet. But we do have our pool, and we're learning from guys like John on how to do it even better. And then the platform he gave us, which was a shout out to Invest Investex, I really like that platform. Yeah, okay. I liked I liked what we had after we stopped recording. Yeah, I think that was when the conversation really took off. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually when it happens. That's usually, man. Yeah, yeah. that's true. <laughs> Secret: If you're starting a podcast, right, you ask really all the is. questions you want, but yeah. then keep recording. Just keep recording. Keep recording. Keep recording. It's ridiculous. Um, so Brian Burke. <laughs> Brian Burke. I kept recording. I said, matter of fact, I turned it off. I said, hold on, Brian, stop, stop, stop. I gotta, I gotta record this because. I asked him a question as we were going through an exit and he helped me clarify some things. Now I still have that recording. It's ridiculous. It's, it's, yeah. it's not even material. It's great. Like mentorship right there. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and, and to be and like, I was saying, we, we haven't fully raised the deal yet, but the goal with that is we're establishing our, our investor base and we're looking to start a fund maybe by the end of this year. So. Excellent. 
we'll get into that before we wrap up. Let me go ahead and switch gears a little bit. And let me talk about millennials because most of you guys on here with the exception of myself are millennials. What do you attribute that rise in the millennials getting an interested in multifamily syndications? It's, it's so, it's such a niche in real estate investing. Most people you would think they would hit up the single family rental, you know, strategy, but I see more and more millennials being interested in multifamily. Is it the scalability? Is it, um, you know, the Grant Cardones of the world, they see that they go to a 10 X conference. What do you guys attribute that to? And let me go ahead and throw it to Luke. Oh, wow. You put me on the spot. Um, you know, I mean, where my head goes is just, there's just more information out there than there ever yeah. was. I mean, this was, you know, 30, 40, 50 years ago, this was, you know, um, 50 year old wasp who was doing this. And now we have all age ranges and all backgrounds doing this. And it's not somebody who, who went to Wharton, right. Or it's not somebody who, um, whose parents came over here on, on the Mayflower and, and they have a lot of social or, or literal capital to their name. Um, so that's, I mean, that's really where my head goes. It's just, there's just more information out there that people have access to. And so because of that, they're able to connect with Sean and John, Justin, the Wendio brothers, yourself, Shannon, and be able to end up learning all these things that are, are available to them and see these new tools that are out there. Daisy. One big thing I would say, and I can speak to, you know, even our experience, right, with Luke and myself, it's lifestyle, right? It's not, you know, I think a lot of our parents, they worked one, two or three jobs for the majority of their career, right? And they had a retirement and there were pensions and there was 401k uh, and all of these, you know, different uh, retirement options that our generation doesn't have, right? Like we can't bank on, you know, social security. And so I think with that, you know, the, the lifestyle change with wanting more opportunity, wanting uh, and employment where, you know, you have the flexibility to live the life that you want to travel to work from home. Uh, I think, you know, looking at multifamily specifically, right, it, it gives you that option to be able to, once you're established, and once you have your investor pool, and once you have your, you know, your funnel of, of deals coming through, you can really do this from anywhere, right. And a lot of us, I think, set up the processes and procedures and systems on the back end to be able to do that from anywhere. So for me, it's it's really that, right? I see a lot of millennials that, you know, don't want the, you know, the kind of jobs that their parents had. They want a different lifestyle. And this this space in particular aligns very well with that. And of course, the generational wealth, right? Being able to, to create wealth to, you know, impact, right, yourself, your community, like a lot more people. And it's, it's really not, I would say for millennials, it's not just about yourself and your family. It's about, you know, the world and the impact that you can make, right? We're a lot of times we think about, uh, you know, the environment, we think about a lot of these different things that maybe the prior generation wasn't as focused on. Uh, and so we've had that opportunity to to be able to travel more to to spend more leisure time and to really qualify that as one of the main components of life, not a secondary thing that comes after, you know, your job is done. Awesome answer. Sean, what do you think? I think that a lot of the thoughts that I had, uh, Luke and Daisy had kind of brought up already. And, and what kind of ties into that, the accessibility is the fact that so many millennials, I mean, they're listening to podcasts, you know, they're listening to all of this like electronic content that's out there. And now there's more and more of it every year. Um, Bigger Pockets is really the catalyst that just exploded this whole online presence of, of real estate. And millennials now have access to all that information at, the, at their fingertips. And that's, I think, was really what's getting piquing their interest. Um, and Daisy brought up some great points, like especially about the retirement, like our generation is realizing that the 401k system is just not going to be enough. 
it's not going to do it unless you want a very, um, you know, if you don't have, you know, aspirations of a wealthy lifestyle in retirement, then that might work for you. But I think that that system, a lot of them are realizing it is pretty broken. Um, and in addition to that, the millennials have been through two huge recessions now. Um, you know, they're, they, they're less willing to rely and depend on their W-2 job because they're realizing that it might not be there in the future. And they can't depend on their employer, their 401k, which is tied to their employer, that they might not be able to roll over easily into the new employer that they get. So they've been through the 2008 crash. They're now going through COVID and stuff like that. And I think that a lot of millennials are starting to have more of an entrepreneurial mindset and they're getting attracted to real estate in particular, where they can be in control. Um, they're not we're at the whims of the stock market that's crashing and tanking on them every couple of years. And this asset class is, is solving a lot of those problems for them. Really Man, what, what, a, what a great answer. Um, and so I want to be respectful of everybody's time because we are, I think, pushing an hour now. And let's go ahead and ask a final closing question. And, and I will just say this, this is not the last time you're going to hear from this group because I think we can all agree we're all getting value out of sharing our experiences in, in networking. And I think all of us live in a world of abundance where we don't see competitors. We just see helping people and growing as individuals. And so we're definitely going to do this again. Um, it's been difficult to kind of coordinate everybody's uh, schedule. I think Sean, you're on the West coast. Uh, Luke and Daisy, you guys are in Texas. Um, where are the Buendita? Is one of you guys in California? I'm in California. Jermaine, you're in California. Where are you, Oscar? Virginia. Okay. And then Justin, you're on the East Coast like me, correct? Yep. And then John, where are you at, brother? Boston. South of Boston. Okay. Gotcha. I said uh, you tell Brady, you remember? I, I did. That's right. I do remember. <laughs> yeah. So it's not easy uh, for us to get everyone together like this, but uh, I, I know this was certainly something that I knew we were all going to get a lot of value out of. And hopefully you listeners, if you're listening in you know, this episode under my podcast, under Oscar or Jermaine's podcast, under Daisy or Luke's, Sean's or Justin's or John's, uh, we thank you. This has been great. So let me ask this final question. What is a specific goal that you have with respect to multifamily? And I'll start first and then we'll go around and we'll close out this episode. My specific goal investing in multifamily is I want my multifamily investments to bear fruit and I want it to exceed the money that I have invested in my 401k. That is a very specific and realistic goal. I want to see that one and a half or two X, you know, equity multiple. I want to see, you know, the investments that I'm in bear fruit. I want to see the business plans executed and I want to ultimately profit and I want my money to work harder for me than I work for my money. Because every dollar that I get as a W-2 is taxed. And so if I can put that post-tax money to work and then I can get a significant return and I can defer those taxes and I can collect this income distributions and I can build my wealth that way, that's something that I'm interested in. So that's a very specific goal that I want. I want my real estate investments in multifamily to exceed my investments in my 401k, which are in the stock market. So let me go ahead and turn it over to Justin. This is a great question, Shannon. I love it. Um, I have a, a few and there's a few different ways, but like for me personally, you know, I, multifamily is already and will continue to be 
the the best financial decision I've ever made. You know, I'm making more now than I ever did at my W two, which is incredible. Um, but I want to share that wealth. Literally, I want uh, employees. You know, I want to grow this business so that I can bring on people and be a job provider. You know, I have some offshore support right now, but I want like U.S. based folks that want to grow. You know, that that want to build apartments and do asset management and all the stuff I'm doing, and I want to you know pay them great great wages and and bring people onto my team. So I have some very real goals about, you know, helping the, the local economy that way. Um, but with everything that we do in all of our projects, it's about transforming lives. And it's not, so it's, it's our lives, but it's our tenants lives as well. And we always invest in the communities and, you know, we make places safer, cleaner, more fun places that people want to stick around and live and, and stay a while. Um, and then we also provide jobs to property management contractors, and we put a lot of money into our property. So, you know, I, the best thing about multifamily is that everybody can win, right? Tenants, teams, the investors, myself, we're all growing and transforming our lives together. And I absolutely love it. So that, that's my goal. Keep doing that. And Justin just made me sound like Scrooge because I was talking... <laughs> Talking all about my personal investments. <laughs> I put my personal stuff up first. I mean, listen, we're all in this to make money, right? We all have to make money. And that's that's really why we're doing it. And just one other thing that we didn't get to on the millennial thing, and I'm surprised nobody mentioned it. Maybe I'm the only one. But, you know, I graduated college with six figures of student loan debt as well. And, you know, it took me a long, long time to and, and lots of deals to, to pay, that, pay that off. And so, you know, we we millennials, you know, I think we're right on the cusp of this sort of financial enlightenment, the fire movement. Like when I was getting in high school, that wasn't really a thing or it wasn't something I was aware of. So I went and I spent all this money on college. I graduated college and I'm like, Oh, I should, I, if only I knew now what I knew four years ago, like there would have been right. such a better way to do it without have spent so much money. So, mm -hmm. you know, like we're burdened by that immediately out of the gate. And then it's like, okay, I gotta, I gotta climb out of this. So that's, that's a driver for me too. Gotcha. Awesome. Thank you, Justin. And let's go ahead and throw it to Sean. Uh, for me, I'm doing all of this really to get my time back. Um, and for those that don't know what I do in my personal life, I still have my W-2 job um, as an air traffic controller. Okay. Uh, I My days off are Tuesday, Wednesday. Um, I work, I've worked weekends now for going on six years um, as an air traffic controller for the FAA. Um, I, I've, I've been with my girlfriend now for going on five years. We've never had the same days off ever. Um, and my, my hours are tough hours. I work all three shifts. I work the morning shift on a couple days. I work the evening shift on a couple days and I work the graveyard shift. I worked the graveyard shift last night. I'm on, I'm on four hours of sleep right now. That's not good for you long for your long-term health. Um, and it's just, I, I, I'm sick of clocking in and I'm doing all of this to create and something where I can buy my time back where, where my business is operating and my girlfriend and I can travel, we can go backpacking in Yosemite. Like we love to do things like that without having to bid for vacation days right now, every September, October period, I have to bid for the next year's vacation. The whole thing like that moment, I bid for that based off of my seniority. If I don't get it, then that's it. And I have to plan for that a year ahead. I don't want to live my life that way. So it's really for me about um, freedom, the financial freedom, fire, financial freedom, you know, uh, retire, financial independence, retire early. There we go. Um, so that freedom is something that I'm like, I think about every day when I wake up and I think about it every time I go to sleep. And once one, one day I'm going to hit that. And then from there, it's just creating, I think, long-term wealth for my family. 
um, and, and lifting my family up a social class so that they can live a better life. And those are the things I think about every day. Well, I'll say this, Sean. I mean, I have, and I can, I think I can speak for this entire group. We all have no doubt that you're going to actually achieve your goals. There's no <laughs> doubt, brother. Thanks. It's Appreciate just a matter that. of, it's just a matter of when. It um, is. Looking at your start of your real estate investing journey to where you are now, it's been a linear progression and it continues to, sure. to go up. You look at the slope of that trend line. So you're doing exactly what you need to do. I'm proud of you, man. And, and, Thanks, uh, man. you're, it takes you're, you're for sure. It does. And you're very inspirational. And I told Rich this too. I'm glad you guys actually listened to me. I said, you need to start sharing your personal journey a little bit more in your, your podcast because people want mm. to know more about you guys. I mean, obviously the experts are important and you guys are probably one of the best people at interviewing guests, but they also want to know the, about the hosts as well. And you sharing that right there, people are going to really resonate with that because a lot of people can relate 100%. And thank you for recommending that because I think a couple of weeks later, we decided to do that for our year end episode. And I had so many people coming up telling me that that was their absolute favorite episode. Actually, that's the only episode that people have personally told me was their favorite episode because we talked about our, our own journey and really opened up. And it was an hour long of us just talking about ourselves, how we got to where we are today and the mistakes we made along the way. And that was your recommendation. So I appreciate that. Absolutely. And honestly, it was my easily my favorite episode. And uh, I'm glad you guys did that. Thank you. Yep. So let's go ahead and throw it to uh, Daisy and Luke. Yeah, I would say for for I can speak for myself and Luke can can speak for himself too because I think it'll be a little bit different. Um, but for me, it's it's really about you know creating more access for millennials, right? For for millennials and for my Latino community, right? To so, so people know that they are able to invest. That you know multifamily investing is not just for you know somebody who has millions of dollars in the bank, right? So for me, I'm I'm really on a mission to uh, you know get the the word out right about about investing about the opportunity that's out there. Uh, so that's on on one end and then on on another end for me it's really you know about giving back right about giving back to my community about creating a you know a, a fund for us right Luke and I were talking about this just this week that we want a certain percentage of the equity that we get back to go towards uh you know some sort of cause whether it's something related to children I'm, I'm really really big into children and education so you know creating a fund where a certain percent of the equity that we're getting back as gps goes back into our community right into a cause that we really believe in and number three for me is really around being able to help my parents, being able to help them retire, right? They're both immigrants from Mexico, came here with nothing, uh, have worked, you know, their, their butts off for years and years, and they're not in a place with the current retirement system to be able to, you know, live the life that they deserve, right? Not one that they that they can live off of, uh, you know, with, with the retirement that they have now. So it's really about being able to, you know, to be that change, right, in my family, in my community, to inspire, to bring more people up as I, as I, rise myself. That's, that's a really big part of, of my journey personally. Awesome. Luke. Yeah. So for, for me, you know, I wear this, uh, arm band, I don't know what to call it wristband. It's, it says legacy on there. And, um, that's, that's really what the main driver is for me. I think that we're all extremely powerful people, all of us here and all the people listening and all of our ancestors sacrificed so much for us to have the opportunities that we have today to be here, to be in this country, to be able to um, achieve these goals that we have. And so I I feel like it's incumbent upon me to, to make sure that, that I that I achieve what I'm able to in this lifetime because it is a short amount of time. I'm probably like, I don't know, a third through my life, give or take. 
And um, so that, that's what motivates me at the end of the day. And that's why I'm, I'm doing what I'm doing in multifamily um, with, with Daisy. And, uh, you know, then I end up thinking about my children and my children's children and my children's children's children, right? And it's okay. It, and I'm thinking, okay, so what kind of legacy can I end up leaving for them? So that way they're in a much better position than I would have been in. Um, just like my grandparents and my great grandparents ended up doing for me. Awesome. Okay. Mr. Fortes. First of all, every single one of you guys so far is pretty inspirational. Um, thank you for sharing, man. It just hit me on another level right now. So for me, when I always think about it, I always go back to the orange ball. Everybody knows basketball is a big part of my life. If it wasn't for basketball, I wouldn't probably be here. I'm a basketball referee. I'm trying to get to the highest level possible, whatever that level is. Right now, I'm at the NCAA Division Three, trying to get to the highest level possible. You use your imagination, figure it out, right? This is why I got into it. I needed something that was going to generate some cash flow. Uh, I needed to minimize my taxes, and real estate always hit home with me. So uh, I couldn't do it with stocks. I couldn't do it with my 401k unless I moved it over to a uh, self-directed IRA. And at that point, I had no idea you could do that. So something that Oscar said earlier is my community, where I came from, my background, didn't talk about this stuff. We didn't do this stuff. We didn't have access to people that knew this stuff. So for me is to build a legacy, like Luke said, but also go back to my community and start speaking, which I do now. I sit on a board of fam, uh, friends and friends and mentors. And I go and I speak to those sessions, those children, those young kids that were, you know, they, they, they're like innocent, like I was growing up with no access to anything, but having someone go and speak to them about real estate and just put that thought, plant that seed, maybe someone go ahead and they achieve something through it. You know, that's, that's my biggest thing is being able to talk. And one of the things, one of the biggest reasons why I do the podcast Yes, I like to share the message, but also I leave it for my kids too. I do it for my kids because it's something that they can go ahead and if anything was to happen to me, they can go back and say, this is what dad was into. And I can teach them, continue to teach them financial independence while I'm gone. So it's just trying to help as much as possible, as many as possible. Uh, but selfishly, my family, if when you really, you know, dig in and think about it. It, it, it. I did it for them. Awesome, John. Love it. And um, when I had you on my show, we got into that, your why, and you talked about your children and me being a relatively, not so much anymore, but you know, I have a 15 month old daughter, but you know, I completely get it and I didn't get it before I had children. So I understand. Um, let's go ahead and throw it to Oscar. Man, I don't even know how to follow up with that because you got me over here <laughs> wanting to let my tears come out, man. Oh, I know. <laughs> no, seriously, because I relate a lot to, to what you just said. So that's along the line, the same thing for me. I mean, I I really think I want to give back at, at some point even more than I am now. We're, we're speaking to a couple, couple of universities, actually, uh, about real estate. Uh, it's just not something that in our communities was ever talking, just finance in general, right? I mean, you just don't know about it until you rub the right people and that's why when you guys were talking about millennials and, and all these people, 
I don't think it's really about millennials or this or that. It's just exposure. Do you know the right group that is doing that type of investments? I know for us, it seems like millennials are doing more, but I don't really think they are. I think it's just the millennials that we know because they're in our circle of influence and they know that about these types of investments, right? But, you know, for us, our goal is my brother's retiring pretty soon, sometime at the end of this year. And then, you know, he's a full on guy um, out of the Marines. And then I'm in the back doing all the, the systems and everything. And, and we'll go from there and, and build our stuff. It's not a sprint, it's a marathon. You know, I do it for the same reasons, my family. You know, I have a third one on the way. Um, actually do in, in a month and a half. So Oscar, you, uh, for those of you listening right now, he looks like he's 14. I'm just letting you know right now. You have you have a third one on the way? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How old are you? I'm 32, man. No way. Yeah. I would have never guessed that. Yeah. Good for you. Yeah. Good genes. Good genes. Yeah. Thanks. It's all the, the Sunday uh, purification I do with my wife. Right <laughs> yeah. she, she's probably going to listen to this episode and know what I'm talking about. We do right on. Mask and we do no strips. But yeah. <laughs> but yeah. So, so yeah, that's what I do it for. And I'll pass it over to my brother. Awesome, Jermaine. Oh, man. I don't know, man. The older I get, the more emotional I get. You guys almost made me cry, to be honest with you. Hey, and I, I'm, I'm going to do it quick. Otherwise, seriously, I get emotional. Uh, one, my son. I mean, he's my he's my engine right there. Uh, so for him, I, I, I do everything. And one of the reasons that, yeah, I've retired and I don't need to get another job and I wouldn't probably wouldn't have to move another finger to do anything. Um, but if I if I stop right there, then I think I'll, I'll, I'll fail him. Um because he's not gonna see my 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 potential in, in life. So one, I do it for him. Um, oh man, I started getting emotional now. Um, <laughs> seriously, man. Uh, the other one, uh, my family, man. I mean, just working with my brother is is the best thing ever. Uh, he's been my my best friend since since day one. Um, uh, the legacy, you know, uh, for my family and for the people that, that that look up to us, and we probably don't even know them yet, uh, but they're looking up to us. And, and for me to stop right there, uh, it would be like failing those people that probably I don't even know them. I probably will never meet them. But uh, to be that example, uh, and and also tapping into the uh, into the community, especially the Latino community, uh, to be able to to share what we're doing. And, and for, for people to be able to one day say it's like, because of you, now I'm doing what I'm doing because I've heard you, because I know what you're doing, because I know where you came from. It made me have the hope to, uh, to, to get where you are and, 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 and be more, you know? So that's, that's, my, that's my, my fuel, that's my engine right there. Uh, just to wake up and, and hopefully one day be somebody that, um, that a lot of people in the community look up to and be like, you know what, you you gave me the hope that I came from nothing and I can actually get where you are. Well, I'll tell you this, Jermaine, I look up to you, brother. And you, you guys are doing a <laughs> seriously, I do. Um, you guys are doing a great job. Um, everything you're doing, you are doers. And honestly, looking at all the faces on this Zoom call right now, what a collection of beautiful people people that are out there that have their own individual dreams and goals and aspirations. And you guys, instead of just talking about it and watching Netflix and chilling, you're out there doing it and sacrificing your time because the time that we have on this earth is very finite and limited. And the time that you spend learning your craft, understanding the ratios, understanding underwriting, going to those broker meetings, 
all the things that everybody does on this call, that's time away from doing other things, particularly time away from doing, you know, being spending time with family and friends. And all the reasons that I heard just now are just, you know, very inspirational and, and uh, man, just what a beautiful collection of people. And that's all I got to say. I'm, I feel very blessed to have luckily picked all of you guys for this call tonight. I can tell you that, you know, I'm looking forward to publishing this episode, all of us under our own uh, different brands and getting this episode out there. I don't think anyone, again, I, please correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think anyone's done this before. This is very unique. Uh, And so, you know, again, just to wrap it up, you know, we will be doing more of this in the future. I think we can all agree. We've all kind of taken a little bit away from each other and it's better to build a community of people that want to lift everyone up. And I'm probably going to murder the quote. I'm going off the top of my head right now, but all tides raise boats or something like that. Do you guys remember that? John, I nailed it. You nailed it. (laughs) Did I? Okay. (laughs) Raise the boat. Yeah. So yeah, something like that, but it's true. And uh, I think we all live in a life of abundance again. So I'll tell you one thing. Go ahead, John, please. The group chat is going to be different going forward. Agreed. (laughs) Oh yeah. Oh yeah. It is. And just so you guys listening right now, what he's talking about is when we were trying to, and this is the stuff that I think people want to hear. They want to hear how we, they want to hear the behind the scenes stuff. We got, we got on a group chat on WhatsApp. I think uh, either Jermaine or Oscar created it. And we just all started, you know, communicating back and forth and trying to figure out when we're going to have this episode was not easy, but it was kind of interesting because we started talking about different guests we've had in shows. Oh, don't interview this person, interview this person. And uh, we started building almost a friendship, I want to say, um, you know, to a certain extent. But John, you were going to say something else. No, since January, the group chat and then Oscar put together the Google Doc. Like this has been very structured and in, with intent to to make that, this happen. That, so. That's Oscar right there, man. That's, that's who I deal with. <laughs> no, but- and, and I have to give a shout out also to Shannon, right? Because yeah. you brought us all together. Yeah. I mean, I think it, it took, you know, you, Shannon, to, to think about this. And I remember when you approached us, you know, how excited you were to to even get it started. And, you know, you're, I don't know that you quite imagined it to be what it turned out to be, right? Um, yes. But thank you because you're the one, you know, you're the mastermind behind this mini mastermind and how beautiful to be able to share our experiences, but also, our dreams and goals right because a lot of what we're doing is that why that behind the scenes and this is what's going to solidify our partnerships our relationships and the work that we do together is because of these kind of conversations so thank you shannon thank you very much agreed so shannon thank you thanks for uh, because all because of instagram shannon that's it i love it Okay, guys, let's go ahead and wrap this up and let me go ahead and do a roll call. This is a multifamily takeoff podcast, the Make It Rain podcast, the True Multifamily podcast, the Passive Investor Show podcast, the Real Estate Investing Brothers podcast, and the Multifamily Journey podcast, signing off for now. Thanks for listening to another episode. Check out our website at truemultifamily.show. And if you have an amazing story to tell, share it on our Facebook community, and you might just be the next guest on the show. We're also on all other social networks. Just search True Multifamily. I'm really, really proud to have this show produced by our company, On Air Brands. Check us out at onairbrands.com. We also have an incredible, unique podcasting event that we would love for you to be a part of. Check that out at podmax.co.